The Retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Good day and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. Um, This is the first uh, Q&A show for the month of June in 2023 when we're recording this. So uh, June is the National Annuity Awareness Month. So uh, while we're not going to dedicate all the questions on our Q&A show to uh, annuities, we're going to probably lean a little heavier on to annuity-based questions um, because a lot of people consider annuities as as part of their overall retirement plan. Not everyone, by any means, but uh, they serve a particular purpose for a particular situation, uh, in our opinion. So we do talk about annuities a fair amount on here. Um, Generally, the more basic income uh, annuity-style annuities. There's a lot of complicated, um, feature-laden... many pages in the agreement style annuities out there. We're not necessarily in uh, favor of for most people, but uh, we'll talk about that. I'm sure we've, I'm sure Jim's got a slew of questions for us that will allow us to kind of enlighten you on how we view annuities within a retirement plan. If you haven't listened to us for very long, um, uh, maybe you don't understand how we uh, think annuities work when appropriate in a plan. Um, so there you go. That's probably the best intro for uh, the first show in National Annuity Awareness Month. So, Jim, I'm ready. We probably aren't going to start with an annuity question, though, right? We're going to start with a Social Security question like we usually do. We will, because Social Security, folks, is technically an annuity. An annuity True. is very confusing for so many people, but at its core, the word annuity references a lifetime stream of income or a series of regular periodic payments, whichever way you want to look at it. That's an annuity. Um, people look at them as nouns and look at them as verbs. We're going to talk about them on for this month in, in both scenarios. The noun, what is an annuity, the, the actual insurance contract, how do they work, the different types, and the verb, which technically is annuitization. But an annuity stream of income is an annuity that has been annuitized. And annuitizes the verb, the action. 
the actual time where you have voluntarily said to the uh, insurance company, here is some money in return, give me a stream of income that's guaranteed that I cannot outlive and possibly even has an inflation adjustment usually tied to a stated percentage amount between 1% and 10%. And it can be utilized to help provide for your needs in retirement. That's about as deep as I want to get on the Q&A show. On the EDU show, I'll get a little bit deeper into them. Uh, this, this is a tough one because a lot of you do-it-yourselfers who listen to us, especially if you're relatively new, say listening to us after June of last year when we did our last annuity-dedicated show because of Annuity Awareness Month. We pretty much dedicated the month of June to annuity-focused questions. Other than that, we don't talk about them all too often. We do mention them mm -hmm. because we're not afraid to say the word annuity. <laughs> we don't look at it as a four-letter word, but we're very cautious with it because there are, quite honestly, folks, a ton of crap annuities out there that y'all got to stay away from. High-fee, broker-sold, complex, they're just horrendous. But if you understand what they are and where they might fit, and they fit in a small but very vital part in our approach to retirement planning, a lot of our clients don't need annuities, or if they do, it won't be till later in life. But it's very important to explain to everyone how they work because you might find them very valuable. And also right now, especially with interest rates rising, we have been using multi-year guaranteed annuities quite often, not for income at all. We had no intention of ever turning it into a lifetime guaranteed income stream. We had no intention of taking a noun, annuity, and turn it into a verb, annuitization. We were just looking for a guaranteed rate of return for a set number of years, very similar to a bank CDs. And before the yield curve started really inverting, MIGAs, which key off of the 10-year bond, were paying with the highest we got over the past six, seven months. That was 6% a year for four years. Pretty good guaranteed rate of return with no uh, risk, investment risk. There's always the risk the insurance company could go under. We'll talk about that throughout the month. So there are some annuities that we have been using even with no intention of ever turning them on to an income stream. But Social Security at its core, and we always lead with Social Security questions, Social Security at its core is an annuity. Mm -hmm. It's a series of equal periodic payments backed by a deep-pocketed third party, not an insurance company, the U.S. government. It is an annuity. Like it or not, it's an annuity. It doesn't go by the name annuity. Could you imagine if it wasn't called Social Security? It was called like government annuity. Everybody <laughs> would <of>. hate this. <laughs> they literally would. They'd be sitting <laughs> and saying, oh, I get that damn government annuity I get stuck with. Yeah. So Congress called it Social Security. It sounds beautiful, social. It's for everyone. Security, it's safe. It's an annuity, folks. You put in money throughout your life and you are guaranteed an income stream for the remainder of your life once you turn it on. That is an annuity. Like it or not, all you anti-annuity Vanguard VGs who I love, you all know that, 
you got an annuity and you don't even know it. And the other thing that amazes me are the amount of people, Chris, who say to us, God, I wish I had a pension. They might come to us with half a million dollars, a million, two million, three million, wherever. Gee, I wish I had a pension. My neighbor has a pension. He is so lucky. And then you tell them, you can buy your own pension. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Well, you could. You can buy your own pension if you really want it. It's called an immediate income annuity. For some reason, the word annuity is just an evil, vile word to so many people. And the industry is rightly to blame for that yeah, because they have a lot of say. terrible they, products. The history of the, the games have left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So Absolutely. The industry is trying to clean itself up. It's not perfect. There are still a lot of companies out there that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. I despise them. I despise their products and their sales force. And sadly, they're still out there. Hawking annuities, usually indexed annuities, to just anybody. They, 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 they have a one tool in their tool chest, and that's an annuity. And no matter what your issue is, no matter what improvement you need, an annuity is going to fix it. It's like a doctor who has just one pill and one pill only. And no matter what your ailment, here, take this pill. So until the industry truly cleans up, we feel it's important to give you guys information about them. And that's why I want to dedicate the month of June to this. But the first question, which is a Social Security question, I specifically chose this one, Chris, because we can dive a little deep into it without, without a doubt and it ties into how this particular individual should think of Social Security, which is an annuity. When I read this question, Chris, I think you will pick up on the thing that I, I thought of when I read it. And this question came in in April uh, of this year, so a couple months ago. When I first read this question, I thought, this man would not need an annuity. So he's overanalyzing his Social Security to a degree. And you'll understand what I mean, and, and listeners, you'll understand what I mean. When I read the question and you hear one of the things he says that made me think, I don't feel additional lifetime income may be necessary for him. I'm not 100% sure, but you'll see what I mean. Okay. okay. It begins, first off, Jim and Chris. Thank you. All caps on a thank you with two exclamation points, by the way. Nice. Your podcasts are by far the most informative and interesting. I listen to 10 different financial shows a week. Wow. This is definitely a do-it-yourselfer. I listen to 10 different financial shows a week, and yours is the cream of the crop. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's, well, thank that's, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I know. Thank you for the, for the kind words. Um, I served for 40 years in law enforcement. Thank you for your service. Uh, I served eight, not 40, so you got me beat by 32. But, and then he continues, and for more than 20 years as an adjunct. So I feel well related to your respective backgrounds. Chris is, you're not an adjunct, are you? No, but I started as such for okay. a short time. So. so Chris works for CSU. He runs or 
is the head, if I describe it wrong, the, the head honcho of the financial planning program at Colorado State University. And I used to be a police officer. So here's, he continues, my question. I am 61 and quickly rolling up on 62 in 2024. I have $130,000 of annual pension income. It is a combination of two state pensions, and one of them earns an annual 2% cost of living adjustment. There is little I can do to make this income tax efficient as I spend it all every year. I still make about 10000 a year as an adjunct. My plan is to fund a Roth IRA with some of my W-2 income. One thing he doesn't point out is if the pensions are joint in Survivor. I'm going to have to assume they are. Are because he does have a wife and that they took the joint and survivor. He didn't mention if it's joint and 50% survivor or 75% survivor. In other words, a, a cut to his wife, Chris. Mm-hmm. I So I guess for today's conversation, we can assume it pays 100% to him and to his wife, but I have no, no guarantee on that. Mm-hmm. Which is important if he's ultimately going to wonder what he should do with Social Security, because that, that would have and one of the greatest benefits of to, to Social Security is the survivor benefit aspect of it. So um, to the degree that he or his wife is a survivor, he, he obviously will retain it. He's the pension holder, so his 130 clearly will continue for him. But whether it continues, and if so, in what amount for her would definitely be a worth considering when ultimately making a social security decision. So well, maybe we're jumping ahead on him, but I suspect. You did. I was going to say you yeah. did. You, you pulled the rabbit out yeah. of my hat there okay. that I had yeah. uh, was going to go there with that. So you, you, you hit the nail on the head. His, his question is, and going to have to do with his social security claiming mm-hmm. the thing that popped into my head, folks, if you listen to our podcast for a long time, you know, our concept, we call it the security time and income process. And the first and the main thing is for the younger you to give an explicit promise to the older you, no matter how long the older you lives, that their minimum dignity floor, a term that I created, I should have called it minimum lifestyle floor, but I named it dignity floor in honor of a woman I bought strawberries for a very long time ago who couldn't afford them. She was 78 years old. You all heard that story, probably. And I just didn't think she felt dignified after some total stranger had to buy her strawberries at age 78 because she couldn't afford them. And her next Social Security check was still 10 days away. There's that annuity, folks, that steady stream of, of ongoing periodic payments. Every month she got a Social Security check. That's an annuity. She had 10 more days to wait. She couldn't afford strawberries. So the explicit promise that you are giving the older you is that their food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care needs will be taken care of no matter how long they live, whether they have money or not. Now, for many of you listening to this podcast, you probably won't run out of money. You have enough, and you know that. You probably will not spend 
everything and you will die with something left. But an annuity can still help you from the sense it's not just the steady stream of lifetime income that Social Security provides or a income annuity or a pension provides. This man has two pensions, folks, $130,000 a year. One of them goes up every year at 2%. The other one doesn't. But a decent amount of money, without a doubt, guaranteed for as long as he lives, and we're assuming it's joint life for as long as he and his spouse lives. That's a wonderful thing to have. And as you age and you can't understand financial concepts anymore, and you may not be into investing anymore, and you're going to be prone to fraud and forgetfulness and making simple, even budgetary mistakes, the older you will appreciate the surety of that steady income. If it's Social Security, it's going to come in on one Wednesday in the month. If it's an annuity payment, you get to choose when you want it to start, and it'll be the same day every month. And if it's a pension, it's going to be tied to whenever you retire and the pension payment begins, but it'll be at the same time every month. That safe, ongoing, repetitive, simple, bottomless cup of coffee source of income, if it covered all of your minimum dignity floor, it's going to make the older you, the 80, 85, 90, 95-year-old you, if you live that long, a lot easier for managing your finances. So we like annuities, yes, for the promise that the older you will have enough money to take care of their minimum dignity for. If done correctly and a, a little buffer is left in reserve just in case, we like all that. So you're starting to see the picture here, folks. With this particular person, when I saw 130000 Chris, and he does spend it all, as he said, or is about to say, I don't know if I read that part yet, um, but he does say he spends it all. The $130,000, I thought, is probably going to his minimum dignity floor needs, food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care at age 61, but most likely also going to some of his fun. I Most people have minimum dignity floors less than 130000 so that's the assumptions I made. Were you thinking on the similar vein, Chris? Yeah, I think so, so far. Okay. Yeah, he does say uh, that he spends it all. I don't think I read that yet. It's his next sentence. There is little I can do to make this income tax efficient as I spend it every year. Even if you didn't spend right. it, listen. still be income, yeah. It's still income, and you can't make it, quote-unquote, tax-efficient. You can't defer some of your pension payments and deduct it as uh, income uh, for IRA contribution or something like that. does not work. So that is uh, something to consider, that income is going to be taxed as income to you for as long as you live. That's just the government. They tax income. They tax capital gains differently, but they tax income. Whether that's interest income or pension income, you're going to pay the same taxes on it. Income is going to be income. He continues, I still make 10000 a year as adjunct. My plan is to, I think I read this part already. Yeah. My plan is to fund a Roth IRA with some of my W-2 income. In addition to my pensions, I have about half a million dollars in savings. 
90% of which is in a traditional IRA, the rest in a Roth. Okay, I have another $100,000 in cash in I-bonds and another 25000 in gold and silver. Not that that really mattered. Okay, he continues. I am extremely confused when to take Social Security. Both my parents died at 90, but I have some health issues that they did not. Nothing deadly right now. And he shares high blood pressure. But none... The, but nonetheless, they have me concerned that I might not make it to 90. My wife of 40 years only worked a few years in her 20s. So by far, half of my Social Security is more than hers will be alone. She is 61, but both her parents died in their 70s. It seems when financial planners talk about Social Security... They push the idea of waiting until 70, but they really discuss the lost income from pulling money out of your cash or worse yet, your retirement accounts. I'm going to pause there and point out to him, I don't like the uh, how he put, or worse yet, Correct. retirement accounts. Yeah, why do you have them if you're not going to spend them? Exactly. <laughs> the longer you defer them, as Ed Slot puts it, you just increase the ticking tax time bomb. And Off. the risk that you're never going to spend it and you die leaving money behind you could have spent. Precisely. But you saved money in your, your half million dollars that you have in IRAs. Essentially, most of it's in a traditional IRA. You said you have 10% uh, or I would say $50,000 in a Roth and 450000 in an IRA. Um, you saved that to spend. Oftentimes, for tax purposes, now you're a little bit different, listener, because you get 130000 of taxable income every year. But for many people, we encourage them to start debiting their IRAs once they retire, or at least in a tax-managed fashion, to reduce future RMDs, whether they debit them by spending from them or debit them by converting them. The idea is to start addressing those dollars you made it you are you imply that delaying social security and taking money out of an ira is somehow bad early in retirement it might be brilliant early in retirement not everybody has one hundred and thirty thousand dollars listener of lifetime guaranteed income they might need to maximize their survivor benefit in Social Security to as much as possible. And delaying it to 70 makes sense. And as an added bonus, they're going to start debiting from their IRAs early, especially we know taxes are going to go up in another few years. But for the past decade, you had an opportunity to debit from IRAs in lower brackets because you knew in January 2026, they're going to go back up. So I'd be a little hesitant the way he worded that sentence. He says, in other words, and I know you're going to point something out on what he says here, Chris, and I'll let you run with this. He says, in other words, I am earning a guaranteed 5.5% on my money right now in CDs. And I'm going to have to say, Chris, he bought... 
probably right now the only rate you're going to get at that level is going to be a one-year cd because the yield curve's inverted yeah but maybe a few months ago he might have been able to have gotten a a three four or five-year cd uh paying five and a half percent it won't be for life but right now you're probably not going to find a five percent cd on a a five-year curve you will definitely find them though on one-year cds but he doesn't share with us which one. But the point is moot. He continues. I can leave that money alone and pull my Social Security. Or I can take that money out, pay tax, which again you imply is a bad thing. It is a bad thing paying tax. But you, I get the implication that you're saying if I left it in there, I wouldn't have to <laughs> right. pay tax. Exactly. But sooner or later, someone will. Now, if your aim was perhaps to leave that to a future beneficiary who's going to be in a very low tax bracket or to charity, which would pay nothing, one might argue not taking it from the IRA. But there's nothing wrong with taking it from the IRA and paying tax on it if it's a tax-optimized strategy. Just keep that in mind. Okay. But but, but where did I leave off? Um, or I can pull that money out, pay the tax, forfeit my 5.5% earnings, and wait as my Social Security grows 8%. Mm-hmm. So is it worth the spread of 2.5% that I don't die early? You're right. That's, that's so, that sets me off. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Chris is going to get to this. Let me just finish this question. That Social Security funding does not become an issue in the future. And he puts that as a question mark. The government does not. I think what he means, he says the government does not impose mean testing such as reduced Social Security and no COLA for those with more than 100,000 of income. I think what he's saying is he's worried the government may pass the rule and they may Mm -hmm. that someone with a certain amount of income will no longer get COLA adjustments or may have their Social Security means tested. I'm not going to say, no, the government will never do that. Who knows what the idiots in Washington are going to do? So I concede that. But to make decisions based on something that may never happen, that's also equally challenging to do. And I know that's what financial planning is. It's making decisions on things that may never happen. And it was what makes our job challenging. But I agree. He, they may means test Social Security. Okay. He does acknowledge, though, Chris. I acknowledge the risk that when my CDs expire, I may have to renew them at a lower rate. But they could also be renewed at a higher rate. And the government could increase Social Security benefits in the future and not cut them and not means test them. You can play that game both ways. Mm -hmm. I am in my go-go years. I just got back from Italy and I'm heading to Africa. I want to spend my money and enjoy my life with my family until I enter the slow-go days. So I will be spending at least the total of my Social Security and pension every year. So that tells me, Chris, that 130 is a mix of minimum dignity floor and fun. 
Well, no, he said he needs both. So maybe the the combination of the pension and Social Security is what he needs to do both. But we don't know the split. I would suspect not many people's minimum dignity floor is over 130. So I would suspect his pension does cover some fun, but not all of it because he made mention he's going to spend the equivalent of both. So if he doesn't turn on his Social True. Security, he's going to be having to take money out of these accounts, which he's clearly loath to do. But he's also going to be a unicorn. His lifetime Social Security and lifetime pension, at least initially, I don't know how far out he's made these projections, will cover his minimum dignity floor and uh, and fund spending. Mm -hmm. Because again, he clearly states, I want to spend my money, enjoy my life until my slow-go days. I will spend at least the total of my Social Security and pension income annually. That clearly says he's spending it on fun as well. And he does put the word at least. So there is a potential that he's going to need additional dollars for fun, which wouldn't technically make him a unicorn in our eyes. A unicorn is someone whose pension and all sources of secure income, pension, Social Security, and income annuities, combined cover their minimum dignity floor and their fund spending. They're covering it all. So he's very close to mm-hmm. perhaps being a um, unicorn. Okay. I don't need to read the rest. It just says, thank you, uh, George from California, but soon moving to Arizona. And I'm sorry, now he gives the state hint at the end, so it's too late. I already said he's from California. Uh, well, I can clearly see where this man <laughs> lies. He wrote as his state hint. Now, this is his verbiage, folks, not mine. I don't want any nasty emails from people in California. I live in the state where the governor has destroyed a golden state that was once heaven on earth and is now one huge public restroom. Answer, California. That's his answer, not mine. But that was his hint. I don't think anyone would have guessed California. Would you on that guess California? Only because he said Golden State. That, I think that was the, the thing, yeah, Golden. Yeah, that was the yeah. hint right there, yeah. Okay, why don't you go on, talk about his, his misunderstanding of the five and a half and mm. the eight, but now talk about this. This is why I wanted this question. I don't think this man might need additional guaranteed income. We mm-hmm. personally don't annuitize fund spending. There's nothing against it, but we don't annuitize fun. Why don't you just kind of look at this now from a planning perspective? Not only Social Security, but secure income in general. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, first of all, don't make the mistake of making an in appropriate comparison. And that's what's happening when he compares the five and a half percent rate on his CDs versus the eight percent increase in monthly benefits for life of Social Security. That's not that eight percent is not the same as an eight percent rate of return on some account. I won't go into the details, but it's far more beneficial than that because it's an eight percent yearly for the rest of your life benefit. Now, of course, the true benefits won't be known until we know when you pass away, because getting 8% more for life and you die five days later, that wasn't very valuable. Uh, but I would say that, you know, you're, you're dead now, so who cares? 
where you really benefit is, you know, with longevity, which is always what we talk about is the benefit of delaying social security is in the longevity protection. So, but don't look at five and a half versus eight thinking, you know, is, you know, is the difference, uh, that, that, that is a, that's not an apples to apples comparison. So let me point that out first. Uh, secondly, everything he's proposing, maybe turning on a social security might be appropriate in her circumstance. The big thing he doesn't reveal is the situation for a survivor. That's the thing. That's the alarm bell that's going off for me, which may not need an alarm because maybe it is a hundred percent survivor on his pension. And if he's done some projections and he looks and he sees that once he dies, if his wife is going to be okay, you can't plan. I don't care what age your parents died or your brother or anyone else. You don't know for sure when you're going to go or your wife. You don't know. You don't want to make a plan based on things that, you know, suggest longevity or what have you. And then suddenly they live extra long and you made a plan where they're going to run out of money at 82 thinking there's no way they'd make it that far and you've left a giant mess and you're likely gone and she's in trouble. I don't think you want to make a plan like that. You know, I won't put words in your mouth. Maybe you do, but I don't think so. So I would look intently at the survivorship situation. And as long as that is robust between the social security, even if you claim it early and the pension, that it's, it's a floor for her that has ample inflation adjustments between the Social Security and the part of your pension that has a COLA, that, that it's just going to be a great floor no matter how long she lives, if she's alone without you, then I'd say, yes, there's really no need financially to justify delaying to 70. Would it give her even better fun, you know, protection? But you can overprotect the old person. You know, you can't... They're, there, there's not a, you know, it doesn't matter how much it's never enough kind of situation with secure income. You can absolutely sacrifice too much early in order to build the huge amount of secure income later in some cases, more than is just reasonable. And then you've got all this extra income coming in. You're not doing anything with it. And, you know, you, you kind of overshot the mark in our opinion. So if he's comfortable with the survivorship scenario, even with the Social Security being claimed early, I'd say don't don't this is something you're you're arguing against doesn't really need to argue. I don't any reasonable financial planner. He said financial planners usually recommend waiting to 70. Uh not always. You know, there's a lot of people that have a pension in addition to their social security that then their social security claiming strategy becomes very low stakes, I will call it. Just doesn't have a lot of impact on their overall situation. And, um, you know, however they feel and if they feel that they're nervous about changes to Social Security down the road, one way to mitigate that is to get money now before they change the rules on you. Um, I would be really careful unless you're in a position like this person, this listener that's got that nice big pension, um, mistreating your you know longevity protection from Social Security, those of you out there. So if Social Security is your only source of secure income. And you're married in particular. It makes a lot of sense once you look at the whole situation for someone, you know, the higher earner to delay to 70 in those cases. If that's the only source of secure income, if you're following even closely the approach that we use to trying to protect that minimum dignity floor for you and your spouse, no matter how long either of you should live with secure income. Um, so... 
I probably spoke longer than Jim expected, but those are my thoughts on this. It might be a perfectly viable strategy, what he's proposing, but he left out a key thing for us to really judge what he's, what he's proposing, the, the survivorship. Right. And and I was torn on this, and still am torn on this in his particular case, because he needs to do an analysis and ensure the $130,000 lifetime pension growing, some of it growing at 2%, some of it growing at zero, is projected to take care of your minimum dignity for food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care, of which those expenses will be inflating at higher much higher levels than zero and two. Uh If you can show or the analysis shows that even then, most people start with about a 50 to $80,000 MDF at your age. Now in expensive states, it could be higher. You do live in California, but you're leaving and moving to Arizona, I believe is a lower cost state than California. If it fully covers it, and I suspect it will in both single uh, excuse me, in both joint life, while the two of you are alive, and as a widow, widower, especially as a widow, if you were to die first, if your wife is going to be safe, if our analysis showed that, Chris and I would not be discussing on our team meetings. We do all planning at my firm as a team, myself, Chris, and, and our planning staff. We meet and talk about all clients. I don't think annuity would have ever popped up in conversation at all for this particular client if our analysis showed that the income was going to their needs, their minimum dignity for needs rather, that secure income was going to cover everything. Delaying Social Security is essentially buying an annuity. You're going to spend your own money by delaying essentially buying, you're going to spend your own money by delaying, and you're going to get a larger lifetime income stream. But I don't know if you need an annuity. If you don't need an annuity, if you have enough secure income, you don't need Social Security, and you don't need to buy an annuity, certainly. So maybe you don't need to delay Social Security. It seems to pain you to watch your investments go down. Please watch them go down, though, listener. That, that's life. You, you save the money to, to spend. But I'm torn on this one. I don't have enough information. My gut tells me he can claim Social Security now because I think the 130000 even with a portion growing at two and the rest growing at zero, should take care of their minimum dignity floor needs. Now, he didn't get into, if he wants to leave a guaranteed inheritance, he didn't get into how they're going to cover aging expenses, at least while both of them are alive. If their income stream of 130000 continues at his death, plus they're going to have some Social Security, I think survivorship doesn't even need, for the widow or the widower, doesn't even have to worry about funding LTC. Their entire annuity, which is Social Security, excuse me, pension, which is an annuity, their entire pension and remaining Social Security will most likely be able to cover a lot of their long-term care needs. But as a couple, there could be a huge issue on being able to fund it because they don't have a tremendous amount of assets. And if one of them suffered a debilitating disease that can cause them to live a very long time but be totally dependent on others, like a stroke, 
or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or dementia, yeah, there could be some issues here. So there's a lot of moving parts he has to look at that a sound plan would show him. He should start crunching some of those numbers. So I'm torn on what to tell him, Chris, because I don't know if he needs to wait on Social Security or he can claim now because you and I always look at Social Security as a way of covering minimum dignity floor. And will the 130 cover them for his life and his spouse's life? That's what he has to look at. Yeah, That's my take. Yep. Okay. Now we're going to get into regular questions. Uh, the first one is I, I do want to apologize for Chris making a mistake last week. He does that every now and then. Mm-hmm. And when he does, you he, he owns up to it. He's a man. He's not afraid to admit when he is wrong. And Chris, you failed to correct me on something last week. And once again, you made a mistake. You didn't correct me. I love to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so now I have to add clarity. I was like um, last week. That's my joke, folks, by the way. I made a mistake. Chris didn't correct me, but I make it sound like he made the mistake. I think people can figure that out. Um, Who was that guy with the wax wings? He flew too close to the sun. Uh, uh, Icarus. Icarus. I thought it was Icarus. Whatever. That Greek guy Mm -hmm. who didn't listen to his father and flew near the sun and his wings melted. That's kind of me last week, and I didn't realize it until I get this email in, which wasn't even pointing out that I made a mistake. It's when I went back and listened, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. So we got this email, and it has to do with last week's EDU show on the Secure Act. And this guy begins, um, he doesn't give a hint. He says, hello, guys. Jim, I hope you can kick the sciatica. It stinks. Um, I don't think I have sciatica. I think I shared that with everybody. I think I have some sort of muscle pull. But either way, it's getting better. I might as well share that with everyone. Uh, If last week and the week before, if the pain was at 100, for lack of a better scale, uh, I would say now the pain is at about a 40 or a 50. So it's definitely going away, and I'm grateful And hopefully in another week or two, it'll be gone. Okay, so he wrote this, Chris. He says, Jim, I hope you can't. Oh, wait, he says, uh, just a follow up to your EDU show from yesterday. So it's the EDU show that played on May 17th. So that wasn't last week. That was two weeks ago, wasn't it? At this point? Yeah, two Mm -hmm. weeks ago. If I had a SEP IRA at Fidelity in March of 2022... He's 76 years old, folks. And I did a trustee-to-trustee transfer to a Schwab IRA in March. And then in November, I took my RMD. Is there any problem with this RMD? If yes, this happened in 2022, how do I fix it? And I couldn't remember, I'm thinking, on the show, what would I have possibly said on the show? And I started thinking and thinking, and I went back and had to listen to the show. I think there was a section you were talking, you know, related to the first dollars out are always RMD. First dollar out rule, exactly. First dollar out rule. I was talking about it in respect to a Roth conversion, but like Icarus on the show, I got too close to the sun. 
my head started thinking much, excuse me, my mouth started talking way before my head started thinking. Because when I got this email, my answer to myself was, no, that's a trustee to trustee transfer. That's not an issue. It would be an issue if you were doing a Roth conversion, right. and it would be an issue if you were moving a 401k to an IRA or any employer plan to an IRA. And I thought to myself, but I remember talking about in a forum posting that a, a I went down that rabbit hole where a, a advisor in 08 or 09 said she converted her client's Roth in January when the market was down mm-hmm. so she could enjoy the, the client can enjoy the ride up and she's going to take the RMD at uh, the end yeah. of the year. And people were pointing out, no, the right. first dollar out rule. And then I said, and I freely admit it, and you didn't pick up on it either. I said it applies in a trustee to trustee direct transfer. This, again, is a reason why these rules are so damn No, I remember you saying that now, and actually, I need to write things down when I hear them, because I heard that, and you were on a roll, and we were talking, and I was going to say, because now that you mention it, I do remember you saying that, and I I should have fixed that. Um, uh, That's why I said you made a mistake. But as you've noticed, sometimes there's a lot of words that have to get out of his mouth, and I... I feel bad, believe it or not, even though I do interrupt him at times. I, I feel bad interrupting him constantly. So um, I was waiting for her breath. And then by that time, <laughs> by that time, it had gone, we'd moved on to something else and I lost it. So, yeah, yeah, I do remember that now. And, and you went back and listened to it. So, but that as yeah, soon as I you described Yeah, I went back and that, listened and yeah. I clearly did. Yeah. I talked openly of the case yeah. where... You cannot do in the in any year that you are subject to RMDs, the first dollar out rule applies, but not when you move from one IRA to another. That's a direct trustee. If you did it as a 60 day rollover, the rule applies. And let's just say he had a Schwab IRA, excuse me, a Fidelity IRA, and he was going to move it to Schwab and he did it as a 60 day rollover. And let's just say there was half a million dollars in there and the RMD was 30,000. Just making these numbers up. I have no idea. And he took all half a million and then he put all half a million as a indirect rollover. The money came to him. He has it. He touches it. He's got the half a million. And within 60 days, he puts it back at Schwab. He must withhold the 30,000. He cannot put that 30,000 into the IRA. So if it's an indirect rollover to you and then from you to the IRA, you must withdraw the RMD before completing the rest of the money into his new Schwab IRA. Mm-hmm. But if you went directly from Fidelity to Schwab, you do not have to take the RMD unless he had a Fidelity 401k, 457, 403b, federal government, TSP, and he was subject to RMDs and he wanted to move it to Schwab, he must take the RMD first. If he didn't, then it would have been an excess contribution to his IRA at Schwab. Now, most employer plan custodians know this rule and will not send the money without first taking the RMD. But occasionally I've ran into cases where that wasn't done. But most custodians do pick up on it. 
That's what makes these so confusing. So when I got his email, I was like, no, this isn't going to, what did I say? I'm thinking on the podcast that makes him think what he did is going to be an issue. And I clearly did folks. I described the Roth conversion scenario to the T and then like Icarus, I flew too close to the sun and I said the same thing applies to transfers. So I want to correct my mistake on that and clarify yeah. his The good email. news is he's a, he doesn't need to go fix anything if what he said is what he did, so no problem. No, no, but I wanted to yeah. address this right away because um, yeah. you don't want people. That's why we always play the disclosure on the show that, hey, we think we're talking. I don't know how exactly we word it, but it pretty much says, hey, we think we're right, but we make no guarantee. And that's how confusing these these rules can be. And uh, you just have to be careful. And um, I'm glad this person uh, is going to be okay. And I'm sure he'll be happy on that. But I definitely wanted to address this this issue uh, right, up, right away. Okay. Because I thought, ooh, this is important. All righty. Now let's get into an annuity question. And as luck would have it, Chris, this week we got an annuity question. And we actually got it in before. I even announced that we were going to dedicate June to National Annuity Awareness a month again. So I'm going to begin with this one. I'm going to skip the the question, uh, the hint rather, because it's it's nobody would get it. You'd have to be a Colorado Rockies fan. Uh, but the gentleman is from Tennessee, and I think he was talking. I didn't Google it, but the Rockies had a really famous player when I first moved out here in in like '99, 2000. Todd Helton, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, And I believe he was a first baseman. I think that's who this guy was talking about. He says he's from the same state as a really famous Colorado Rockies first baseman. So I I think that's who he's talking about. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that. (laughs) I know Todd Helton, but I don't know. I I don't know where he's from. But the cool thing is he does write this, and I thought this part was cool. He goes, note, this former Rockies player, he doesn't identify Todd, I had, I'm guessing it's Todd, hit a home run off me when I pitched to him in high school during the All-Star game years ago. So that's pretty cool. He pitched to someone who became a professional baseball player. So anyways, I just thought that was cool. That's but cool. this gentleman is from Tennessee. Okay, he says, my question has to do with the options for an individual who is the beneficiary of a non-qualified annuity that has not been annuitized. I have to make a couple of assumptions here, folks. He is inheriting an annuity from a non-spouse. He doesn't tell me if it's from a spouse or not. I'm going to assume it's a non-spouse. If this gentleman, when he hears his question answered, are you actually inheriting it from a spouse? Write back to me and tell me because my answer will be different. So I'm assuming it's a non-spouse. Also, folks, whenever you hear the verbiage non-qualified annuity, that's essentially an annuity that is not inside an IRA. If an annuity is inside an IRA, the rules I'm about to subscribe to this individual don't apply. The IRA rules take precedence and apply. But when an annuity is owned on its own outside of an IRA, they're called non-qualified and the rules I'm about to describe will apply. Okay. So he says, I am likely to inherit one of these messes. So he clearly doesn't like annuities messes in the next decade or so. 
And my very simple understanding is that they need to be closed within five years. He is correct. There are two options for non-spouse beneficiaries inheriting non-qualified annuities. Close the annuity in total by the end of the fifth year after the year of death. Or annuitize the annuity. The verb, folks, turn the annuity into an income stream within 12 months of the death of the owner. Those are your two choices. Close it in five years. Annuitize it within the first 12 months of death. Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Since it will be non-qualified, I know I will owe taxes on the gain, which will be about half of the annuity's $800,000 value. So again, folks, there's a non-qualified annuity he's going to inherit from a non-spouse beneficiary. He's telling us, simple math, $400,000 was contributions that the owner made, $400,000 is growth. The contributions, he is correct, will be paid out to him tax-free. The growth will be subject to tax. Again, fairly straightforward. $400,000 tax-free, $400,000 subject to tax. Here's where it gets a little confusing because I'm not sure if he understands the rules. So let me read what he wrote, and let me then explain the rules. Since it will be non-qualified, I know I will owe taxes on the gain, which represents half of the $800,000 balance. But that will generate $400,000 of taxable gain, or $80,000 per year over five years if that is the only option available. I'm going to pause there. He's making this... It's confusing for me because I don't know what he's thinking. The five-year rule does not require any type of required minimum distribution between year one and four. Even with IRAs, the five-year rule still applies to IRAs. No RMDs between year one and four. The five-year rule for non-qualified annuities. No required distributions, even if the owner is past age 73 when they die. There's no RMDs from annuities, period, unless the annuity is inside an IRA. But a non-qualified annuity has no RMDs when you're alive. And when it's inherited, I guess it has one By a non-spouse beneficiary, it has one massive RMD, which is the account must be closed by the end of year five in the year following death. That's it. So he doesn't have to take anything out for year one, two, three, and four, but he has to close it all by year five. And what I'm confused on, Chris, is I'm not sure if this gentleman understands LIFO. Last in, first out. Mm-hmm. What's the last dollars in an annuity, Chris? The growth. 
or earnings were last put in that account. So they're the first that must come out. The contributions are the last to come out unless the annuity was open prior to August 14th, 1982. And if we have time today, the next question has to do with that, which I've never talked about before. So I was excited. He doesn't indicate when this annuity was open, but I'm guessing after August 14th, 1982. So when you inherit it, LIFO applies, last in, first out. He's saying $80,000 per year over five years. He is correct. The first dollars out of his annuity, though, are the growth, the $400,000 that's going to be taxed to him as income. If he is trying to reduce his taxes or just make this equal, or he thinks he has to take RMDs an equal amount every year for five years, I don't know what he's thinking. But he's saying, I could take $80,000 a year out for five years, and it would be taxable to me as income. Yes, he is correct. But if he is thinking... Gee, I can take 160000 out a year for five years. 160 times five is 800000 If he's thinking, I can take 160000 out a year for five years, but each year I'm only going to be taxed on $80,000 of it, he's wrong, Chris. Right, that part's wrong. Because the first four hundred in his example, no matter when you take it out... If the first 400 is going to all be taxable. The second 400, once you eat down through all the earnings and you start taking out the basis, then it becomes non-taxable. So it really depends on how he's going to take it out. The only way to spread it evenly to get those earnings out, kind of spread out over the five years, would be to limit your distributions just to the $80,000. Uh, they're not going to come out pro rata between earnings and growth. That's not how annuities uh, function. Nope. The growth always comes out first on any annuity opened after August 14th, 1982. And I'm guessing this one was. So he continues, do most annuities, I know they are all different, have any other standard options for beneficiaries? No, the distribution rules are set by Congress in the Internal Revenue Code, IRC code for short. And these are the distribution options you will have. You have to annuitize it within 12 months or close it all within five years. Now, if you annuitize it, turn it into a guaranteed income stream, maybe that's going to be important. If you do an analysis, maybe you need lifetime income. Once you annuitize it, the IRS will consider, and the insurance company does the calculation, not Mm -hmm. you, They're going to do a calculation called the exclusion ratio. And they're going to say how much of your payment can be excluded from taxes. Because the taxable amount when you annuitize a noun to the verb, you're going to turn the 800,000 annuity into into a lifetime annuity income stream by annuitizing it. You will be receiving a portion in every payment. Of principal, 400000 of after-tax dollars, 
gain, 400000 of taxable gain, and mortality credits and interest, both of which are also fully taxable. So if you annuitize, if he clearly, if he did ha- inherit exactly 400000 of principal, 400000 of gain, it wouldn't be a 50-50 exclusion ratio. The insurance company will determine, based on your life expectancy, how much is principal, how much is the growth in the annuity, the interest, and how much is mortality credits. They're going to figure out all of that. Mortality credits and interest will be taxable to you. Gain will not. So instead of being 50-50, it, it might be closer to forty-five, fifty-five, or something like that. And they'll do the and, calculations so that you end up getting back your basis, the non-taxable portion of that, over your lifespan to your life expectancy. And then at that point, if payments are continuing, they become 100% taxable because there's no more basis left. So know that as well. At some point, exactly. if they're open long enough, if the annuity lasts long enough, you'll get all the basis back and the exclusion ratio disappears. And now 100% is some combination of interest and mortality credits. And the insurance company by law has to track that, yeah. not you, you don't so have to don't worry. worry. Right. You'll get a 1099 every year with the exclusion ratio on it, telling you how much of this payment is taxable, how much yep. of it is tax-free. And Chris is 100% correct. The insurance company will track. And when they can document you received 100% of the 400000 in basis, then the remaining payments are fully taxable. Yep. So if you want to spread the taxes out the longest, annuitization is the best way to do it. Right. If you need additional guaranteed income stream, that's the best way to do it. If he was going to, I bet you if this person who's going to leave him the money instead named him, as the joint survivor on their pension plan, he would be excited. I'm going to get a pension as soon as my whoever passes away, my friend, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother. And that pension is going to go a long way to helping me. I'm so happy that they did that. I thank them to high heaven. It's essentially what they did to you, folks. They're leaving you an annuity, and you have the ability to turn it into a pension stream. But because it has the word annuity, he's calling it a mess. But if he was going to receive a joint and survivor pension payment, if he was the survivor of a pension, and when the owner died, he was going to get the pension payments, he'd kind of be excited, I think. People just look at it differently because pension has such a wonderful sound to it. And annuity, we got to get that music. Dun, dun, dun. You know, every time I say yeah. the word annuity, you, you, you play that because that's what goes off in someone's head. When you say pension, people hear wind blowing and birds chirping. It's just beautiful. And when you hear annuities, it's dun, 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 dun. and stop doing that, folks. So I would encourage this listener to see whoever is going to grace you with this could be gracing you with a lifetime stream of income. That might go a long way to helping you. And then you can annuitize it, and a portion of it on top of it is going to be tax-free for at least a portion of your retirement. And I hope you live long enough where 
All of the annuity payment is taxable. That means you had a long life. Great. It's just I'm trying to get him to think of this a little differently. Then he says, another thought. Do some annuities have better options for this than others? In which case, should I be researching whether there is a different annuity that I should have? Oh, he says here, his mother, that I should have my mother roll this into. She 100% understands, and this is important, Chris. She is never going to touch this money as she has more than she needs already coming in from other income sources. So this would be totally for my benefit. If it truly is totally for your benefit, you should start looking at this annuity as an income stream. Run your own calculations. Do you have, your mom clearly has been blessed. Her pension covers her income stream. I'm assuming she has a pension because you say she has other income streams. I'm assuming social security and pension, not another annuity because you described annuities as a quote unquote mess. What if your mom could leave you her social security? Wouldn't that be sweet? You can't. You can't leave social security to non-spouse beneficiaries. But if your mom could, you would be sitting there maybe saying, Wow, I'm going to be calculating that my mom's Social Security will begin for me somewhere in my mid-70s because that's about her life expectancy. And at that point, my minimum dignity floor is going to be more than covered with my mom's Social Security, my Social Security, and my savings or something like that. But he doesn't look at it that way, Chris, because it's not Social Security, which again is the wind blowing and the birds chirping. It's the ta-ta-ta-ta annuity. He should look to see if he needs more guaranteed income, because if you do, there it is. And you can start making estimates of what $800,000 of guaranteed income will buy you. And you do not have to annuitize the annuity with the company your mom is at. You would ask that company what your payout options are, and they'll annuitize it for you. They'll tell you. And then you compare that to what other insurance companies will offer you. And the IRS has ruled in private letter rulings that you can move an inherited non-qualified annuity to another annuity if you follow the within 12 months of death annuitization or five-year rule. I don't think most insurance companies are going to require you to get your own PLR on that. I think they're honoring the PLRs that have already been issued. But you will have some flexibility, but you're only going to have 12 months to figure it out. So don't wait to month 11 because that's never going to happen. And the IRS is pretty rigid on that 12-month rule. Mm-hmm. So I think he should just look at the annuity differently. My only caveat is this. I'm assuming your mom did not open this annuity prior to August 14, 1982. I'm assuming she probably opened it somewhere in the 90s, though, or even the early 2000s. And it's a variable annuity because it grew quite a bit. And it was probably sold to her by a broker. You need to be looking at the fees inside this annuity. If I am correct, that this is a variable annuity sold to your mom by a broker. 
This could be having fees, embedded fees of 3% or more between what is known as the M&E expense, mortality expense charge. They vary between one and a half to 2%. Any rider charges, you need to make sure your mom does not have an income rider on this annuity. Mm-hmm. I don't know why your mom bought this annuity. She clearly has enough pension income. Did she need more income and she wasn't aware of it? Or did someone snooker her into this by saying, oh, this 400000 is it's taxable to you. Let's put it in this annuity and it'll be tax deferred for you. Maybe I say snooker because I don't believe in buying an annuity for the tax deferral in most cases. But that, I don't want to get into that. That's an argument for another day. You need to look, though, and make sure this annuity has no rider fees, which generally will be about 1% for an income benefit. And then you have to look at the investments within there. Many of them are outrageously expensive. If your mom is paying 2 3% in fees, she could be spending sixteen dollars to $24,000 a year in fees fees that you don't even know and she doesn't even know. Rather than you saying it's a mess, you are being blessed with the ability to get additional lifetime income and you did nothing for it. Well, don't take that the wrong way. You were with your mom, you helped her, you love her, and she loves you and she wants to to show you that love by leaving you money. If she was leaving you her social security or if she had named you as the joint survivor on her pension, you would be looking at a lifetime stream of income with wind blowing and birds chirping. It's wonderful what your mom's doing for me. Instead, you look at this as an evil annuity. You're going to get an income stream or you're going to get money after paying a lot in taxes. I'm more worried because you said your mom could live another decade. If she's paying 24000 a year in fees, broker sold annuities is not unheard of to be 3% in fees, your mom's looking at 24000 a year for 10 more years or $240,000 that could be going to you. And if that's the case, your mom should get out of a broker sold annuity and try to get into one of these new um, commission free, and I have my hands up as quotation marks, commission free advisor sold annuities assuming the advisor is not going to rake your mom over the coal and charge his or her own 1% management fee on it. Try to find an advisor who's just going to allow your mom to open the annuity, maybe charge you a one-time fee for the work of opening this annuity, and then maybe an annual fee if your mom wants to talk about it. But that's going to be up to you and the advisor. But you can get some of these annuities Uh, Many, many insurance companies has them. TIA Cref now has them. Nationwide has a very popular one. Um, uh, Transamerica has one. And I can go on and on and on. I think Pack Life has one. Midland Life has one. They all have these rather low cost. The, The fees on these annuities all in investments and insurance company can come to about 35 basis points to 50 basis points. The unknown is what the advisor is going to charge to do this. Unfortunately, many 
will levy an AUM fee on them and demand to debit 1% of your mom's money out, which I think is bogus BS, but that's just me. Don't get me going on it. But that still might be cheaper than what you're paying uh, the insurance company for what I'm guessing is a broker sold variable annuity that probably has very high fees. So talk to a, if everything that I'm assuming is correct, do some work, talk to some advisors, find someone who'll open this annuity up maybe for a flat fee and give your mom the option to sit with them or talk with them over the phone every year about the annuity and they'll charge you a flat fee for that as well. Then you can lower your expenses quite substantially. That's where I think he should be looking, Chris. Lower your mom's expenses. I hope she lives for the next decade or more. Lower those expenses and start looking at what she's giving you is the potential for a lifetime income stream, which is wonderful. Start doing some calculations to see if that can help you. All right. What do you think? I agree. Looking into all those things and, you know, if he wants to close it within the five years, he certainly has that option. It has nothing to do with that particular annuity. That's just the rules, uh, like you mentioned. But I think investigating some of these things, and I I think it's good you pointed out to not just let this thing set, assuming it's in its best position now, uh, because a lot of these do have those high fees. You want to make sure, especially if you're paying fees for a feature that you're never going to use. He said that there's, it's not ever going to be annuitized or, or an income stream turned on necessarily, although he didn't say that expressly, but it kind of implied that this was just going to sit there until he um, inherited it. Just make sure it's not being siphoned away in unnecessary fees if you can prevent it. That, you know, good advice there. So, a couple of things I do have to add though that just popped into my head. Sure. Your mom may not be able to move this annuity when she gets to a certain age, not out of a federal uh, IRC tax code rule by a suitability and compliance rule that the insurance companies are going to impose. They don't let a lot of older people open annuities because uh, the regulators tend to think putting an 85, 90-year-old in an annuity is wrong, so they just don't sell them to them. So you got to look at your mom's age. If she's still in her 70s, no problem. As she starts getting into her 80s, it might be harder and harder to move that annuity, number one. Number two, I totally forgot this, folks. I said there are no required minimum distributions. There aren't. But every annuity will have an annuitization date. I call it annuitization date. Others call it a maturity date. It goes by different names. It is the date that insurance company is going to force your mom to do one thing or the other annuitize this a contract or close it. Get it the hell out of here. I have seen annuitization dates from 85 all the way through the 90s. You would want to talk to this insurance company and find out what your mom's forced annuitization date is. Because that could give her a very unpleasant tax implication or silly annuitization at age 95. Who the hell's going to annuitize at 95? So find out what the annuitization date is. And if you do decide to move it because it's an expensive annuity, 
make sure you try to find an annuity that has a more favorable annuitization date. And I don't know, and I'll be the first to admit it, if the IRS mandates a certain age. I'm going to say no, because I did read uh, a question once that Michael Kitsis answered. This is going way back. That Kitsis answered where someone misunderstood the annuitization date, which was, I think, in my end, this is going way back, folks, my little chipmunk's turning, and Kitsis, we all know Kitsis. Kitsis forgets more in one day than I'll ever know. He's that good. And the guy misunderstood the annuitization date, which was, I think he said 120 or 112. I can't remember for sure. And he misconstrued it with another date or rule. And Kitsis said, no, this is actually a good thing. You don't see these forced annuitization dates that far out usually. And that means the annuity owner can keep it open till that date. So when you're starting to deal with elderly people with deferred annuities that have not been annuitized, you got to start looking at the annuitization or maturity date, whatever the insurance company is calling it, and finding that out for your mom. And then also recognizing when someone gets into their 80s, 83, 84, 85-ish, gets more and more difficult to find annuities that will allow the person to open the annuity. Now, some annuities will allow someone up to, say, 80, 81, 83, maybe 85 to not only open an annuity, they will make their annuitization date 10 years from that frame. So it can push them well into their 90s. So you got to kind of look for this. But the annuitization date of that annuity is something you and your mom should be looking at. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Well, that'll uh, bring us to the end of a long show, but short on quantity of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so these were all kind well, of lengthy. Uh, we should probably try to mix them up a little bit more because uh, when we get three long ones, that's about all we can get through. So I know you've got another we annuity gave a question lot coming of up. Information. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. But um, every once in a while, people point out that we didn't get through many quantity of questions too so but what's uh, the point if we answered three questions or i answered eight questions but provided the same information that i provided in these three that's true these could be because we kind of answered things that weren't even asked so you can think of it as we answered a lot more questions than three we were just prompted with three questions and then we answered about 27 Right. That, that's, oh, yeah. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just trying to give people information. We don't talk about annuities all the time. We really don't. But this is National Annuity Awareness Month, and I'm trying to teach mm-hmm. people about a very complex product and things that they need to be looking yeah. for. So yeah, you can be mad that we only answer three questions or instead look at, wow, there's eight things here. I'm just, I don't know. There's eight things here that I just learned that I didn't know. That's the way you should be looking yeah, at it. Perfect. So if you want to send in your own annuity question in particular for annuity appreciation month or awareness month, sorry, awareness appreciation. Month. I keep saying appreciation. Um, 
Send it directly to Jim. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. Make sure that you include in the subject line that it's a podcast question. And even I would put the word annuity in there. That'll really get his attention to uh, possibly cover it this month on the show. So we really appreciate everybody listening and sending in your questions. And we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.